Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Prague, Tiago Majeta Santos versus Jan Blakovic. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in the afternoon. Some more uh, Tiago Majeta violence, but this time against the resurging Jan Blakovic. Yeah, this is a great main event. And, you know, it's not too often where Eric Spicely and Pat Cummins can sit at home on a weekend and say, I beat both guys in the main event, you know, so... <laughs> It's going to be a great card, but Jan Blakovic, man, this guy was on the verge of getting cut not too long ago. He's completely turned things around. Tiago Maeda Santos seems like ever since he moved up to 205 after that loss to David Branch, it seems like, you know, he's been realizing his power. It seems like that weight cut was taking a, a toll on Tiago, and uh, he's been looking better than ever. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's just more evidence that goes to show that these guys that were participating in extreme weight cutting ever since they moved up a weight class it's night and day difference and I mean we can go back to the examples we've been naming for the last couple years Dustin Poirier Robert Whitaker Kelvin Gastelum all these guys they move up a weight and they look better than they ever have before and with Tiago Majeda Santos obviously two straight fight of the night uh, performances I, I think officially the Manuel fight he might not got a, an award for it uh Actually, let me check that right now before I talk. But the bottom line is that uh, my boy Tiago Maheta is on the list of most knockouts in UFC history. He's in the top five. And, yes, he did get a performance of the night for the Jimmy Manuel fight. He gets another knockout here, Shaq. And he's making a run for the top st- for the top spot of most knockouts in UFC history. Yeah, for sure. And when Tiago gets you, he gets you. I mean, he's got a hammer on his chest. I, I don't know what more can you explain, you know, this guy. It's been a lot of devastating knockouts, man. Let's not forget the uh, Steve Basse KO back in the day or the uh, the Anthony Smith knockout to the body, the Hermanson knockout. He's known for knocking people stiff. What's the name of the Nova Onyao guy that he knocked out with the body kick? Uh, the guy that missed weight by five pounds? Uh, Hani Marks? Yeah, dude, when he knocked out Hani Marcus, I mean, at the time, because you remember, Hani Marks was like minus 800 against Tiago Maheda Santos, and I remember an interview came out, and Hani Marks was talking about how, oh yeah, you know, I missed a uh, weight by five pounds, because I, uh, I was hanging out at the Brazilian barbecue, and uh, Tiago Maheda knocked him out with that body kick, and ever since then, he's made a name for himself as one of the most scary strikers, not just in the middleweight division, not just in the light heavyweight division, but in the history of the UFC. So I'm very excited to see what happens this weekend. Obviously with Jan Blakovich, talk about a career turnaround because he at one point lost four of five, including losses to guys like Pat Cummins. It was like one more loss, Jan, and uh, you're out the UFC. And uh, now he's one fight away from a potential title shot, Shaq. Yeah, I remember the days when Jan was putting his hands on his knees in, in fights and gassing out after the two-minute mark. So to see him and the form he is, which he calls Jan 2.0, uh, it's really remarkable, man. This guy, like we said before the Devin Clark fight, if he would have lost that fight, he would have probably got cut. So props to Jan. Yeah, his new doctor is incredible. Well, Shaq, let's break down this whole card start to finish, my man, because first up in the lightweight division, we got Demir Ismagulov. He's 17-2, and two, and Joel Alvarez is 15-1. and one. And currently, they got Demir Ismagulov minus 250. The comeback on Joel Alvarez is plus 210. Now, Shaq, for a fight so early on the card, I mean, you got 17-2 and two versus 15-1. and one. Those are incredible records. Uh, who do you think takes the next step in the win column? Ismagulov looked real good in his debut. It's unfortunate he didn't get to fight Joe Duffy, but... You know, you cannot force a man to fight. But Ismagulov's solid. He looks like he's got good stand-up, good top control. He did fight a, you know, a low-level guy for his debut. 
you, but he treated him accordingly, dominated the fight from start to finish. Uh, Joe Alvarez, we know his deal. He's a, he's a specialist. He likes to get these triangle chokes. He likes to pull off these subs. You got to be very careful when fighting guys like that. You know, I think as long as Ismagul Ismagulov minds his P's and Q's. I think he's the better striker by far. I think that he can seal off top position against Joel Alvarez. It's just a matter of not getting sub. When these sub guys get a hold of you early, it's generally game set over. So he's got to be careful. But if he can get through that little tough uh, period, I think Ismagulov will coast the victory here. Yeah, I can totally see it, man. I mean, Ismagulov does have the Russian coast style down. And I know on, I believe, Tapology says he's from Ukraine. But the flag in his UFC debut said Russia. So so it's definitely one of the two. But bottom line, uh, he's not a guy that plays games in there. And obviously, he has that Russian coast style down. He can go out there, win the decision, you know, stand up on the feet, not really do anything for about two minutes. But when it's time to throw those bombs, he will throw those bombs. And uh, you leave a little opening for a takedown on a guy like Demir Izmagulov. And not only will he take you down, he will pick you up over his head and slam you. But the issue there is if he does that to a guy like Joel Alvarez, he must watch out for the submission game of Joel Alvarez. I mean, he's known for tapping guys out with triangles off his back. We know how these submission specialists are. It's easier said than done in theory to avoid the sub and then go out there and break the guy. Like you remember with Manny Bermudez last week. Holy shit. I mean, I couldn't believe how quick he was with that guillotine. So a guy like Joel Alvarez, not quite, not saying he's quite on Manny Bermudez level or you know anything like that, but he does kind of have that style. He does bring that to the table. So if Demir isn't careful, he could get submitted here. But uh, I think Demir will be careful, and I think he wins a unanimous decision here, Shaq. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Rustam Habilov. He's 23-3, and and Carlos Diego Ferreira is 14-2. and And currently they got Rustam Habilov. He's minus 145. The comeback on Diego Ferreira is plus 125. Shaq, it's not often we have a closely lined Rustam Habila fight, but now that's the case. So what's your opinion? Yeah, Rustam, 23-3. and This guy goes about his business. He's quietly on a six-fight win streak. Uh, you know, he fights once a year. His wins are, you know, <laughs> very questionable a lot of the times. But uh, the guy is 23-3. When it comes to winning and losing, he definitely wins majority of the time. Same as uh, Carlos Diego. We know his two losses to Darius and Dustin Poirier. Respectable losses. You know, the thing with Carlos Diego Ferrer is he's not the fastest guy. He's not going to overwhelm you with a big uh, power shot most of the times. Like you saw his last fight when he fought the newcomer, it was a little struggling. You know, he's a jiu-jitsu guy. He's an uncoordinated jiu-jitsu guy. But, you know, you can't sleep on guys like Carlos Diego because they can sneak up on you and they can finish you. You know, uh, for example, you know, I kind of compare him to Claudio Silva that beat uh, Nordin Taleb. You know, these guys, uh, they're very slow. They get hit a lot. They're not fast. But uh, you make a mistake and they will be opportunistic and they will finish you. I think Rustam Kabilov, the fact that this fight is in Europe, pretty much, you know, leans his way. I don't know how many times I've said on half the battle that there's a very good chance that the decision is already written in Rustam's name. You know, he's got those type of connections in Europe. We saw it in his last fight against Cajun. You know, that fight was close, but a lot of people thought Cajun won. But this guy, Rustam, could get flying head kicked like again in the Chris Wade fight and still win the round. Or uh, get fully mounted like he did against Leandro and still win the round as well. So, like I said, I actually think the value might be on Rustam in this spot. I think as long as he doesn't get finished, the decision will go his way. Or, barring a clear ass whooping from Carlos Diego from start to finish. But I don't think that's going to happen. I actually think Rustam's the faster, stronger, 
guy, even though he is getting older, he is getting slower, he is getting hit a lot more, he's barely scraping through these decisions. One of these days, he's going to mess up. I just think you have to get him out of Europe to, for that to happen. So I got to go with Rustam. I mean, you bring up some very legit points, dude. It seems like any time Rustam Habilov goes to decision in Europe, not only is he getting his arm raised, but he's getting a couple 30-27s in there too. Because I, I don't know if you guys recall a fight between Leandro Silva and Rustam Habilov where Leandro Silva drops him, full mounts him. I mean, it seemed like, hey, man, maybe it could have been 29-28 Silva, maybe 29-28 Habilov. Well, guess what? It was 30-27 Habilov, the Chris Wade fight. Chris Wade drops him with a flying kick to the face. And look, Rustam definitely won that fight. But let's at least give Chris, even though he likes to complain about everything, let's give him a little, a little respect and give him the round where he dropped Rustam Habilov with a flying kick to the face. Uh, actually, let's not give him any respect. 30-27 Hobby Love. So it's just one of those things where my boy Carlos Diego might come out here, drop him with a left hook, flying knee him, do the whole bit, and he still might lose 30-27. So I think from a betting perspective, I would actually like more dog money on Carlos Diego Ferreira. You know, kind of like he was a uh, plus 265 versus OAM. That was a great snipe. But here at plus 125, look, in Vegas, okay, then we consider it. But in Europe, especially Prague, I'd be very, very careful. That being said, I actually think Diego comes out here and finishes Rustam. I think he becomes the first man since Benson Henderson to find the neck of Rustam Habilov and submit him. So I don't think the fight will hit the scorecards for that reason. However, if I am incorrect and it does hit the scorecards, hold your breath and expect a 30-27 for Habilov. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Chris Fishgold. He's 17-2 and Daniel Tamer is 6-2. Currently, Shaq, they got Chris Fishgold, minus 240. The comeback on Daniel Tamor is plus 200. So, Shaq, you got a 17-2 guy versus a 6-2 guy. The 17-2 guy is currently, uh, he's only minus 240. So, I got to know, do you think that's warranted, or do you think the line should be a little bit more wide considering the experience difference? Well, we know Tamor, the Tamor brothers, they're uh, Muay Thai kickboxers from... Sweden and Daniel Tamor is no different than his little bro. He's 38-2 and two with 28 knockouts. And I'm not going to lie, some of those knockouts are very vicious, man. He's definitely a solid Muay Thai striker. I just think that in his transition to MMA, he's still very behind, you know, at least very behind in comparison to the guys that he's going to be fighting, the Arces and the Danny Henrys. So Fishgold comes in with uh, his debut against Calvin. You know, no shame in losing to Calvin. He got knocked out in the first round. I think that you know, he came out really amped up. He threw some power shots. But I think the the real issue which led him to getting knocked out was I think he put all all his efforts into getting those takedowns. And when he couldn't get that, you know, uh, he got tired. And against a guy like Calvin who's, uh, what, 18, 19, 20 and 3, something like that, he'll make you uh, pay for those mistakes. So to be honest, I, I kind of attribute that attribute that to like one of those uh what do you expect situations to beat calvin in your debut but you know Fishgold, i think he's a black belt i think uh, all he needs to do is worry about the one big shot from tamor i feel like tamor really doesn't know the in and outs of the mma game i think uh he's tough he's got heart but i think uh that he just i think he's gonna be lacking he's just too far behind and uh just the small details of the game you know i think if Fishgold plays this smart he should just come out here use his black belt and jujitsu you know take this guy's back and uh utilize your advantages there uh, like i said all he needs to do is worry for the big shot i think tamar is a tough guy but I, I don't think he belongs in the ufc you mentioned the skill gap but not only that what about the size gap because this kid tamar it's not david tamar it's daniel tamar daniel Look, he already dropped from 55 to 45. I think he needs to go from 45 to 35 now, man. He's too small 
for the weight class. And when you talk about Chris Fishgold facing Calvin Cater in his UFC debut, I've gone on record many times. I've even gone as far as calling Calvin Cater a top five guy. Going from Calvin Cater, who I hold him in that high regard, but let's not even talk about the skills. Let's talk about the size. Calvin Cater is one of the biggest featherweights I've ever seen in my life. You're going from fighting a giant featherweight to fighting a, a midget featherweight, you know what I'm saying, from one of the biggest to one of the smallest. So I think for Chris Fishgold, I mean, you remember that deep shot that he had on Calvin Cater. And, of course, Cater was able to get up. I'm not convinced a guy like Daniel Tamor is going to be able to get up. But I will say this, Shaq. The area where this fight could get interesting, because th this is what I think is going to happen. I think Fishgold comes out here, probably stands and bangs for a sec, you know, slings some big bombs. But I think he's going to try to set up his double from the jump, try to get this guy to the mat, try to try to take the back, get those hooks in, sink in the, the rear naked choke. And most likely that's going to happen. However, if that does not happen, for some reason, I don't know why, but I have a little suspicion about Fishgold. I don't want to sit here and call a guy with a 17-2 and record a front runner. You know, I'm not going to disrespect him, especially when he's fighting a guy like Daniel Tamor, who actually literally is a front runner if you go watch that Danny Henry fight. But down the line, you got to be careful who you bet Chris Fishgold against. That's all I'm going to say. But in this spot, I think he rolls. I think he comes out here and submits Daniel Tamor. Tamor hits hard. Look, he's got Muay Thai experience. I've seen worse guys in the UFC. For an 0-2 guy... I know that he didn't impress anybody, but I have seen worse guys in the UFC. So he's not the worst fighter on the roster like some people are trying to make him out to seem. But it doesn't matter. I still got Fishgold here via submission. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Michelle Tractor Prazera. She's 26-2. And, and Ismail Nardiev is 17-2. Shaq, all these guys on the prelims have fucking incredible records. I mean, we were talking about Ismagulov and Alvarez, 17-2 versus 15-1. We were talking about Habilov and Ferreira, 23-3 versus 14-2. Now we're talking about Prozeres versus Nardiev, 26-2 versus 17-2. They got Michelle Prozeres, minus 410. The comeback on Ismail Nardiev is plus 330. So I got to know, man. Uh, you think my boy uh, Tractor Prozeres is going to roll again and keep the win streak going? Yeah, you know, I think Nardiev's an interesting prospect. Seems like he's paid his dues on the local scene with the 19 fights. We know what Tractor Prezeris is about, 24-2. and two. Guy rarely loses. Seems like, you know, he's another one of these guys that moved up the weight class and things seem to be going a lot better for him. Uh, his fight with Bartos, I mean, he launched Bartos into the fifth row and then uh, got that neck, of course. But uh, I feel like this could possibly be a tougher fight than people think. You know, Nardiev's one of these Russians that uh, he's very seasoned. You know, he definitely knows how to fight. You know, I still favor Tractor Prezeris just due to the UFC experience. But, uh, you know, with the height difference and just the fact that this guy Nardiev's got some interesting kicks, uh, might be a matchup problem for Prezeris, you know, a shorter guy. But, you know, I still got to favor the UFC experience, the explosion of Prezeris, the jiu-jitsu. But I actually think he's going to have a tough time uh, – getting Nardiev down, but I think Prezeris will ultimately find a way to get his hand raised. Yeah, I feel you, man, and uh, Nardiev, he's actually Austrian, not Russian, but I, I feel you on the sentiment because you look at guys like Merbek Taisumov and Alexander Rakic, you know these guys coming from Austria are no slouches, and also that 17-2 and record taking on Prezeris with a 26-2 and record. Already on paper, I cannot wait. And as far as Ismael Nardia, for everyone who hasn't seen him fight before, this kid is super exciting. He'll go out there. I've seen him knock guys out with spin kicks. He'll uh, throw a flurry of punches. And also, when I've seen him on the mat, 
I know he got finished a couple years back, but I've also seen him in more recent times get back up and then go out there and knock guys out. So he's definitely putting the road work in. He definitely deserves that UFC call, and he's absolutely going to come out here and win some fights in the future. That being said, when you're facing Michelle Tractor Prazerish for your UFC debut, I mean, you know, you get the call that you're in the UFC and it must be the most exciting moment of your life. You tell your whole family, you're giving everyone hugs. But then they ask you, uh, so, so who are you fighting? Uh, who is the unlucky man in that UFC debut? And it's like, nah, they're not giving me some, you know, guy to style on. They're uh, giving me Michelle Tractor Prazerish. And then everyone goes silent. It's like, oh fuck you know so listen if tractor plays around and doesn't fight like he normally fights then hey maybe ismail can spin kick him maybe he can knock him out maybe he can be a big upset but ultimately i think tractor is actually it's funny to say that you know now that he's uh kind of getting older in years you know my boy uh tractor brazeris is 37 years old but i think tractor brazeris is like a fine wine man he gets better with time i feel like these last few performances you know we used to complain about how he would have a a strong first round, but then by the second round, he's flopping to his back. He's doing the whole bit. Nowadays, he's going out there against undefeated prospects, knocking them out, choking them out. I'm like, okay, Michelle Prezerich is the real deal. Not to mention, he does have a win over uh, another fellow Austrian named Merbeck Tysimov. So this is not the first Austrian that he's fought. I'm going to go with Michelle Prezerich here via... Is it going to be a rear naked choke or a north-south choke? It's going to be one of those two. I'm going to go with Michelle Prezerich via submission here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Demir Hadzovic. He's 12-4, and four, and Marco Polo Reyes is 8-4. and four. But between you and me, Polo Reyes is not really 8-4 and because we know a bunch of those uh, fights on the Mexican regional scene were undocumented, not to mention his KO win over Matt Frivola is currently not on his record because, you know, he was taking some uh, Mexican Flintstone vitamins for that fight. That being said, Demir Hadzovic is minus 120. The comeback on Polo Reyes is plus 100. The line has flipped, Shaq. Initially, Polo was the favorite. Now Demir is. Which way you leaning? Yeah, this is possibly a fight of the night contender, Polo Reyes. We know what type of fighter he is. And Demir Hadzovic, you know, when guys don't want to hump his legs, you know, he will also stand and bang as well. You know, I feel like Polo Reyes is a uh, a great power a great power puncher I, I would consider him one-dimensional i don't think he has any other aspects in, into his game but i i think that demir hatsovich is also the same i think uh both guys in terms of their wrestling demir you know he'll never be a player in the division because you know his wrestling isn't uh good enough to compete with the top 15 guys polo i feel like uh He's also not going to be a player in the division because I don't think his chin is good enough to uh, compete with the top guys in the division. But I think as far as they match up, this is a great fight. Polo Reyes relies on that power. You know, uh, Demir Hatsovich, he's had a real rough road. It feels like, I feel like Demir's possibly had a style. The, uh, his fights have been pretty much stylistically matchup nightmares for him. Alan Patrick, you know, a world-class grappler. Martin Held, a world-class grappler. Nick Hine, good judo player. And, uh... And Merbeck Tysimov. Uh, so he's had a tough road, Polo Reyes. Uh, his opponents, I kind of question. You know, I feel like, uh, although they, uh, he's got some, the Frivola win, the uh, Jason Novelli win, the Maestro Kim, you know, I feel like those guys are, uh, I respect those guys, but, you know, I feel like just Demir has been in there with the tougher puzzles. I feel like Demir has had the tougher pass to victory. You know, I feel like when Polo, wrote, Polo Reyes has been extended, you know, uh, we've seen him get knocked out by Horacio Gutierrez on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he struggled with Jason Novelli. That fight went to split decision. Uh, his fight with Maestro, you know, Maestro doesn't know how to switch up the pace. You know, I feel like uh, 
the path to victory for Polo isn't going to be as simple as his past fights. You know, Frivola just got right in his face, chin up in the air. And props to Polo. You fight Polo like that, he's probably going to put you on your ass. You know, I don't think uh, Hatsovich has the best chin. But I think uh, when the fight gets extended, he's got more weapons. I feel like his past to victory have been a lot tougher. I feel like he's been in a lot more tougher fights. So I side with him. But I think it's a give or take either side situation. I think uh, if you got good dog money on one side, go ahead. But uh, I don't see either side necessarily having a big advantage over the other one. But I just side with uh, Hatsovich. I think uh, if he extends this fight, he has more weapons, a better chin, uh, better cardio. And uh, I think he'll get a finish in the third round by knockout. I also think that the USADA will play a factor on Polar Reyes. He's not one of these spring chickens. He's 34 years old. So I, I do think it will play a factor on him. It's going to be a hell of a matchup. I will tell you that much uh, right now. And, yeah, the USADA deal might play a factor. He's getting up there in age. But I will also say power is the last thing to go. So he connects cleanly on Demir's chin and uh, expect it to be night-night. That being said, look. The good news about this fight, this is the one fight on the card, because I know when you guys listen to Half the Battle, you're always wondering, which fight is he going to say, these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls? Guess what? This is the one. Demir Hadzovic or Polo Reyes. These two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. I cannot wait. Now the question is, which man's going to fall? Look, Demir Hadzovic, he's totally capable of going out there and brawling, as you've seen in uh, the Merbek Tysumov fight and some of his regional fights, but he's also capable of going out there, putting on, uh, you know, the European point fighting game, like you saw against Nick Hine. And, you know, he kind of said that it was the last fight on his contract, and if he lost that fight, he might have got cut. So he said that he kind of played it safe in that one, and that now that he has a new contract, he's going to take more risks. Well, that's a music to the ears of Polo Reyes, because Polo Reyes wants you to come out there, brawl with him, take more risks. Now, the downside with Polo Reyes accepting a fight like that is, like you mentioned, Shaq, Polo Reyes' chin is not the best. He has been KO'd more than once, been wobbled additional times. I, I respectfully disagree with you saying when he gets extended, you know, that he might not do the best, because we all saw the Maestro Kim fight. I mean, if that's not being extended, that's the most extended I've ever seen a Polo Reyes, and Jesus Christ, he responded. But maybe against someone else, they would have KO'd him stiff, right? So, as far as Demir and Polo go... Man, these two are going to be trading some concussive blows. My question is, what's Demir's game plan here? Is he indeed going to go back to his wild ways and try to brawl with Polo Reyes in the pocket? Or is he going to try to take a more measured approach like he did against Nick Hine? Try to sidestep, try to snipe the straights and, and stuff like that. But my, my whole thing with that fight is, look, Nick Hine is five foot six. Polo Reyes is six feet tall. I'm not saying that, you know, the height might be an advantage. All I'm trying to say is that, it's a completely different matchup because Demir was trying to keep Nick Hine on the outside, but now with Polo, he's got to go out there and actually close the distance. Man, very tough fight to call. I'm going to actually lean with Polo Reyes, man. I think he finds the chin of Demir Hasevich, and I think he knocks him out, but I cannot wait to see both guys in there. I'm a big fan. I'm going to go with Polo Reyes by knockout. Now, next up in the welterweight division... We got Carlo Cemento Pedersali. He's 11-2, and two, and Dwight Grant is 8-2. Shaq, currently they got Carlo Cemento Pedersali Jr. at minus 150, and Dwight Grant at plus 130. So I got to know, man, do you think Dwight Grant will get his first UFC win here, or do you think Carlo Pedersali bounces back? Yeah, you know, I think Grant's one of these low-volume power punchers that looks to one-shot guys, and if he catches you, you know, he might knock you out. And Carlo, he does have a suspect chin. He has been dropped in his last three fights. You can't lie to yourself about him not being chinny or chinny. He definitely is chinny. But 
there's ways to work around that. And I think as long as he doesn't get caught with a big punch or drop in two of the rounds, that he should win a decision. I think his volume's too much. I think he's got he's a solid southpaw. I think he's better on the mat. We saw Otto take Dwight Grant down, and he had troubles there. I think Carlo's the better overall fighter. And I think as long as he avoids the big shot from Dwight Grant, who's going to look to load up on that power for sure, I think he should win a decision. But Carlo is chinny, man. So Grant will definitely have his chances. So, But I will take Carlo. Man, I love this fight as well for the reasons you mentioned. You know, I think that Carlo is the more well-rounded guy. I think obviously he goes out there and this hits the scorecards. He is winning that long-term battle. But the reason they match them up is because Dwight Grant's strength is his KO power and Carlo Petrosoli's weakness is his chin. So that's what makes this so intriguing because if there wasn't a chin issue for Carlo Petrosoli, Minus 150 is a pretty fucking generous line for the better fighter. I mean, Carlo Petrosoli is better than Dwight Grant. However, he might be winning the entire fight. He might get caught with one big shot. If, if he loses, that's how it's going to go down. Because Dwight Grant, he does not have the style to win decisions. He lives and dies by the counter. And I respect counter fighters a lot, no doubt about it. I think counter fighting is a very smart way to approach it. But he is strictly a counter fighter. Like, to the point where... If you don't throw anything at him, he's not going to throw anything back at you. That's why the auto fight was as boring as it was because Dwight Grant was simply waiting to time that counter the entire time. And you know, Otto was freaked out of him after that first exchange. So Otto didn't engage. Therefore, Dwight didn't engage. Well, I'll tell you what right now, Shaq. Carlo Petrosoli will engage. Therefore, that's going to make Dwight Grant a little more exciting because you put him in there with the wrong, you put him in there with a Zach Otto, that'll make Dwight Grant boring. But you put him in there with someone that'll actually fight him, and that'll make Dwight Grant exciting. So Carlo will make Dwight Grant exciting. Now it's about can Dwight Grant come out here, not Carlo Petrosali out. Well, I know Carlo's coming off a devastating KO not too long ago, albeit it was against one of the hardest hitters in the division. We all know Alex Cowboy hits like an absolute truck. Dwight Grant, he's look, he's an athletic man. He hits like a truck too, but I think there's a difference in the power. I also don't think he's anywhere near as experienced as a as a Alex Oliveira. Alex was able to jump on an opening, take it, capitalize, and win the fight, and it was very, very impressive. One little opening with a guy like uh, Alex Cowboy, the fight will be over shortly after, as you've seen throughout his entire career. With Dwight Grant, he still has a lot of proving to do, man. I mean, that fight on Contender Series... No disrespect to the guy he was fighting, but, you know, the guy he was fighting got finished his very next fight by a guy down a weight class, right? So that guy was literally winning the fight against Grant because Grant refused to throw. And then when Grant finally did throw, he knocked the guy out. So it might be a similar situation here, but I will side with the long-term battle, and I think that will be won by Carlo Pedrosoli. I think he comes out here, throws the sidekicks, mixes in takedowns, pieces him up a little bit, and as long as he doesn't get knocked out, I think Carlo Pedrosoli wins a unanimous decision here. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Jillian Robertson. She's 5-3, and three, and Veronica Macedo is 5-2. and two. Shaq, currently they got Jillian Robertson minus 160. Veronica Macedo is plus 140. Now, it's interesting because initially Macedo opened the favorite, line flipped, because I know Jillian Robertson has a lot of hype. A lot of people were saying they can't believe all this action's coming in on Macedo. I got to know, man, do you have an opinion on why all that action came in on Macedo here? Well, yeah, when Jillian Robertson was on tough, Eddie Alvarez watched her fights and he pretty much laid it out plain and simple. When she can't get her sub, she'll quit. And that's pretty much the facts. You know, she's a good ground player. She's got arm bars. She's got, we saw the rear naked against that little boy down there in England. But we saw, you know, what happens when uh, you push her, man. You saw what happened in Brazil when she uh, couldn't get her sub. She actually got sub. 
but I mean, there was moments where she was on the ropes on the feet big time. You know, this girl is definitely scared to exchange punches. And I think that's the opposite with Macedo. But where Macedo struggled is on the grappling side. Andrea Lee and uh, Evan Smith, you know, two very big girls. The fundamental difference is that uh, it was a struggle. You know, Jillian Robertson is a girl where... She needs it to be fairly a breeze, you know. She needs to be able to either get that arm bar from her back or take you down and uh, finish it there short. Once there's resistance or face punching and blood, she doesn't do too well in those type of fights. So, you know, I think as long as Macedo stays to herself, she is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. I'm not sure what uh, Robertson's is. I'm a guess lower than that. Uh, but uh, I think uh, as long as Macedo makes her work for makes her work early. And uh, weathers the early jujitsu storm, I think she'll break Jillian Robertson and make Jillian quit again. Dude, this is really interesting because initially when this fight got matched up, I don't know why I had this impression that, you know, Jillian, oh, she's the submission artist. Well, she is a submission artist, but I thought she was a lot better than she really is. And I was like, oh, Macedo's a can. This is going to be easy work. But then I watched the tape and I'm like, holy shit, Eddie Alvarez was 100% right. When you're getting finished by Barb Honchak, I don't give a fuck if it was last year. You know, people are going to sit here and be like, oh, that's a 25 vet. Yeah, Barb Honchak lost to Angela Magana. That's all I got to say about that. Now, as far as uh, Julian Robertson, look, if, like Eddie said, if she cannot get her first round sub, she's going to come out here and quit. Ashley Evan Smith and KGB Lee couldn't first round sub this girl. I know they took her down. I know they did the whole bit. What you guys got to understand, because I know people think Ashley Evan Smith sucks and this and that. And Yeah, may maybe you're right in terms of top 10 or top 15 standards, okay? But Jillian Robertson is nowhere near that, guys. Jillian Robertson, and it's funny because she might actually be ranked because there's like no one in the division. But between you and me, she ain't top 15. And these girls, KGB and Ashley, actually are top 15. So at least Macedo's in there with legit top 15 fighters. And with uh, Jillian Robertson, I mean, she beat uh, she beat Shitmire and she beat Molly the Can McCann. I mean, come on, man. Like, am I supposed to be impressed? So, also... Did you know Veronica Macedo is a higher-ranked uh, jiu-jitsu uh, <laughs> belt than uh, Jillian Robertson? I bet a lot of people listening to the show did not know that uh, my girl Macedo is actually higher-ranked in jiu-jitsu. But we'll see what happens, obviously, because the first-round sub is Jillian Robertson's uh, path to victory. And if she gets it here, congrats to her. Once again, I will go with the long-term battle. I think that Veronica Macedo spin-kicks Jillian Robertson and finish her, finishes her via strikes. Next up in the light heavyweight division... We got Magomed Ankalaev. He's ten and one, and Clydeson Abreu is fourteen and two. Uh, Shaq, we all remember the stunt my boy Ankalaev pulled in that UFC debut. But real quick, let me give you the lines because they got Ankalaev minus two twenty. The comeback on Abreu is plus one eighty. Now, let me ask you this: If Ankalaev never pulled that stunt against Paul Craig, do you think he'd be upwards of a minus five hundred favorite here? Uh, yeah, man. I, I think so. You know, I think Klitschin Abreu is a, a serious jujitsu player. You know, I think uh, his jujitsu is definitely his strength. He's been whipping up on a lot of ovs and evs down there in the uh, the Brave Combat Federation. And uh, Ankalaev, I mean, I think Ankalaev's a great fighter. I think he's extremely talented. It's just I still can't get over the fact that he literally couldn't hold on for one second. You know, I think that's a big mental issue. I, I mean, you know, you can make every excuse you want, but, you know, uh, I think it'll come down 
I think it'll uh, be brought out to light again at some point in the future. You know, I think Klitson, if he can get a, <laughs> if he can get a wrap his arms around uh, Magomed's neck, I mean, who knows what's gonna happen? I think Magomed's clearly the better striker, the more talented fighter. Um, he's also had experience fighting Brazilians in uh, that Katerov promotion down there in Russia. So I think this is a good fight, but I wouldn't sleep on Klitson. I think he's a he's really good at jujitsu. His stand up's just about average. But uh, you never know with Ankalaev. You know, I still can't get over that fact. It's not a, it's not five seconds or or ten thirty seconds. You know, where you gotta hold on for real. It was literally one second. But you know, maybe maybe I'm still uh, maybe I'm still mad about it. But you know, I'll take Ankalaev. But I'd be very careful with that guy, long term at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you get burnt like that on what appears to be the easiest money ever, and then there's one second left, you're about to get an easy 30-26, maybe even a 30-25, he throws his leg over his head for two seconds and they call him the winner, Shaq. But, no, but, but on the real, man, like what, what I'm trying to figure out here is because, look, if, you ever, if you've ever been in a triangle choke before, you know that when someone has it actually locked in, it feels like your face is about to explode, like your eyes are about to pop out your head, so... Maybe Ankalaev legit felt like that. Maybe he was literally about to go out cold. But the good, the I say the good news, but the reality is that hold on one more second, my guy, and uh, the bell's about to ring. So I don't know what the deal was. Now, since that was only a one-time thing for him, as of now, Shaq, it might happen again. Since that was only a one-time thing, yeah, I'm pissed because, you know, people lost money, all that. But at this point, I still consider it a fluke. Even though Paul Craig is known for his chokes and that's his favorite move i still feel like if they fought uh 10 times that ankle live wins nine of those times even though when you're betting all that matters is the one fucking time that you bet it not this nine out of ten hypothetical bullshit but the reason i'm calling it a fluke is because of the nine out of ten shit you know because i really do believe that magomed ankle live beats that guy nine out of ten times well now you have a chance uh to somewhat redeem that loss in a sense because you're fighting another submission whiz. But I got to tell you what, Abreu and Craig, they ain't on the same level. Abreu would tap out Craig in the first round. Abreu is actually a legit jiu-jitsu black belt. Whereas Paul Craig, he's a, he is a brown belt. You know, not going to disrespect that, but he's more of an MMA submission guy. Whereas Abreu, you'll go see him at fucking Pan Ams and ADCC and, you know, the whole bit. So he's a legit jiu-jitsu guy. But this is MMA, and I think Magomed has learned from those experiences. I think he should be a higher favorite. I just think that the Paul Craig fight is why he's only minus 220 here. But Abreu does have a, a solid future, man. Uh, his jiu-jitsu is legit. He's going to tap a lot of guys out, but I think he takes an L in that debut. I'm going to go with Ankalaev here. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Piotr Yan. He's 11-1, and and John Dodson is 20-10. and Shaq, currently they got Piotr Yan, minus 280. The comeback on John Dodson is plus 240. Uh, Shaq, uh, I remember when this fight first got announced that uh, we were like, what did, John, <laughs> what did John Dodson do to Sean Shelby? So I got to know, do you still, uh, do your feelings remain the same on the matchup? It's a good fight. Peter Piotrian, I mean, his last fight against Douglas De Silva, that was a hellacious ass whooping. And I'm glad De Silva's corner stopped the fight in between rounds because if that would have kept going, you know, it would have been a, uh, a good chance, you know, a stretcher might have had to been uh, inserted into the <laughs> octagon. But 
you know, I'm glad they stopped the fight. But what can I say about Piotr Yan? I think this guy's the real deal. I think he's too mean. I think he's just his pressure. His, you know, he does get hit a little bit, but his defense seems to be really on point. Uh, you know, uh, and he just gets hit just because. I mean, he's putting so much pressure on these guys that these guys gotta throw back in self defense a little bit, man. And I also think that he fought a mad, mad, mad Asian down there in uh, Russia, Dotson. You know. I'll never forget when he knocked TJ Dillashaw stiff or Manny Gamburian or any other one of these bums. I think he's had a great career, you know, somewhat, uh, I guess, a, a legend of the sport. But uh, I think he's in big trouble here. You know, I think that down the line, he's just gotten old, man. You know, he just doesn't have it anymore. And that's not necessarily his fault. I mean, he's just he's been fighting for a long time, man. Uh, age catches up with you. Father time is undefeated. And I don't ne think necessarily the father time is like fully fully getting to him i mean he did just beat pedro munoz uh, a year ago but i think peter yan's just on a different level man i think uh peter yan you know is one of these guys that paid his dues in a very tough promotion out there before he got to the ufc fought a bunch of mago meds and uh you know etc and now he's coming to the ufc and uh he's beating the brakes off guys man this guy does not let you off the hook and that's the that's the issue when dotson wins fights you know these guys just let him off the hook and but when he fights the top guys they don't let him off the hook but i actually think this one's gonna be a little bit more one-sided man i think dotson is deteriorating he's never been finished in the ufc I'm, I'm actually go ahead and say this is the first time he does get finished in the UFC. You know, I think Peter Yan is just too vicious. He's, I just think he's too hungry. I think uh, Dotson is just not moving the same way he once did. I respect the guy. I'll always like him for uh, knocking out TJ. But uh, I got to go with Piotr Yan by uh, a third-round TKO. Dude, I feel you on this 100% because – Look, John Dodson, what he used to be known for was, oh, he's the fastest guy in the UFC. He's the magician. Well, now he's like 48, so he's no longer the magician anymore, man. Uh, because we all know speed is the first thing to go. If he was a knockout artist, I know he's knocked a couple of guys out, but you and me both know he's not a knockout artist. If he was a legit knockout artist, uh, then I'd be a little bit more worried because we all know power is the last thing to go. That's why my boy Dan Hendo in that retirement fight, he was dropping Michael Bisming a couple times, you know, power is the last thing to go. Speed is the first thing to go. John Dodson has relied on his speed his entire career. That's why he's able to run away from these guys. And when he wants to dart in, he darts in. The issue here is that Piotr Yan is not going to give him any space whatsoever. I actually think stylistically speaking, this is the worst fight that John Dodson has had in years, man, because John Dodson, like I said, he relies on his speed, relies on his ability to backpedal and counter. Backpedaling and counter is a recipe for disaster against Piotr Yan because he's going to walk you down the entire time and he's not going to chase you. He's going to cut off that ring, make it feel really, really small in there and when John Dawson starts to feel uncomfortable, that's when he does his worst. And now that he's getting a little bit older, he doesn't react as well to these shots. And I know allegedly he beat Pedro Munoz, but I actually thought Pedro beat that fight, beat uh, Dawson in that fight. And I felt like Pedro kind of showed a little, like like a poor man's version of the blueprint on how to beat Dawson that P Piotr can't implement here. But Piotr is going to do a way better job because unlike Pedro Munoz, Piotr isn't slow as molasses. Unlike Pedro Munoz, uh, 
Piotr, yeah, yeah, he eats some shots, but he doesn't eat shots on the extent of a of a Pedro Munoz, not even close. So I just really think he's going to walk down Dotson, hit him with every shot in the book. It's going to be a destruction, and I see him breaking Dotson by the end of the first round, maybe mid second round, and I see him getting get, getting him out of there with a TKO by the second or third. So. I do have Piotr Yan here. I see a lot of people saying there's value on Dodson. I respectfully disagree. I got Piotr Yan here. Most likely inside the distance, but if it hits the scorecards, he's going to run away with that too. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Liz Carmouche. She's 12-6 and six, and Lucy Pudilova is 8-3. and three. Currently, they got Liz Carmouche minus 140. The comeback on Lucy Pudilova is plus 120. Shaq, Lucy Pudilova is fighting in Prague. You know that... I mean, the Czech Republic is our home country, man. This is a huge deal for her. You think she gets the hometown win here? Yeah, this is going to be a really good fight. Carmouche looked really good her last fight against uh, Jennifer Maya. Had a couple slams. Uh, definitely a strong girl. I mean, obviously, look at her. She's definitely got, you know, the big muscles going on. Um, comfort zone is definitely in that top position. And, you know, Lucy's a very young girl, 24 years old. She's already been in the UFC a couple years. Uh, just coming off that fight of the night with Arena, a fight which she took on short notice. So I do think uh, Lucy Putalova is getting better fight to fight. I feel like uh, she came into the into the UFC a little green, and I feel like she's made the, that gap up very nicely, man. Even though she's 2-2, two and two, I, I feel like she could easily be 4-0. Liz Carmouche, first girl to ever step into the octagon. Uh, lately, it seems like, you know, she ever since that layoff she had between the Murphy fight and the Chukagian fight, you know, it seems like, you know, the Chukagian fight, the first round, she came out real strong. She dumped two Chukagians. The issue, I think, uh, with Chukagian turning her back, she can definitely capitalize on her, her physical attributes, you know, with those muscles. But it also seems that when she does do that, it also seems that she is a little scared to get hit. You know, it feels like as the fight progresses on, progresses on, you know, her hands start to drop. Her defense, you know, deteriorates a little bit. Uh, she got dropped in the Chukagian fight. And then also in the fight after that against Alexis Davis, she showed bad fight IQ. She uh, was winning the entire first round. And then she puts herself in position for arm bars. Alexis Davis is a mummy, man. All you have to do is uh, keep tagging her. But she uh, chose to do otherwise, which was wh which is why I say I feel like she's scared to get hit a little bit. I think uh, at times I've seen her throwing punches with her eyes closed. And those are just signs, you know, for girls that they, they don't like getting hit. You know, I feel like Carmouche loves to be in that top position, you know, in grappling situations. And I feel like Lucy's getting better fight-to-fight -fight stuffing the uh, takedown. She did get taken down against Sarah Mirage. She did get taken down against um, Lena Landsberg, two grappling-based fighters. But I will say there was a point in the third round in the midst in the Arena fight where Arena shot an extremely fast shot on Lucy in the midst of a heated brawl, and Lucy stuffed it easily. So uh, I do think Lucy's getting better at stuffing the takedowns. I feel like Lucy, if she shows up to her best, I feel like she is Liz Carmouche's worst nightmare. Liz Carmouche doesn't like being pushed, man. She needs to be able to get takedowns when she wants. She needs to be able to utilize her strength. And I feel like Lucy, with her experiences at uh, 135, this is her flyaway debut. I feel like, you know, she had to make that necessary effort to stay in shape, uh, get her weight down. 
Liz is also another former 135er. She's also doing the same thing. But I feel like that hometown advantage, and I feel like the key to this fight is when, you know, Liz, she's probably going to try to take Lucy down, and she might get her down in the first round. But I think as the fight progresses, Lucy has that mindset where she's too mean, where she's going to come after you. She's not like one of these girls looking to, you know, like how we were mentioned with Robertson, looking for an arm bar or, or just a, a little land prey. She's really out there looking to hurt you to do damage. You saw how her and Irene's faces looked at after that fight or Sarah Morass's face like or Lena Landsberg's face <laughs> looked at uh after they fought so when Lucy fights there's a very good chance her face is going to be covered in blood I don't think Liz Carmouche likes those type of fights I think she breaks in those type of fights so therefore I'm actually going to take the upset Lucy in check I think she's going to get the job done I think she's going to break uh Liz in the late rounds with her pressure I think the length the youth the 10-year age gap is just gonna be on uh, Lucy's side here 10-year yeah. age gap that's a uh... That's serious. Ten years. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that fact out, that stat, Shaq. But look, as far as this matchup, I believe it is pure striker versus grappler. Liz Carmouche wants to wrestle her, and Lucy wants to absolutely maul her and destroy her standing. And I think that in the first round, look, Liz is a vet. She's been in there with everyone. Liz probably will take her down that first round. But as this fight starts to progress, I don't think that Lucy Pudilova is just going to get tapped out in the first round or anything like that. If she does, respect to Liz. But... I think Liz is going to try to go for stuff. I think it's not going to work. I think eventually Pudilova is going to get back up on the feet. And when she does, it's not just about pointing and running and you know scoring a couple points and you know being cute, teeping, and this and that. My girl, Lucy Pudilova, will absolutely destroy you and maul you and try to knock you out viciously. She is one of the meanest fighters in that division. And she's just simply too mean for Liz Carmouche, man. And uh, here in the Czech Republic, this hits the scorecards, and it's even remotely close. Pudilova's getting her arm raised. I mean, unless Liz literally lays on her for all three rounds, Lucy's getting that hometown decision all day. But don't be surprised if it beats her down to the point where maybe the ref intervenes or maybe there's a 30 in front of the scorecard with Lucy's name. So that being said, I'm going with Lucy Pudilova here. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division... We got Mikhail Olegzhechuk, he's 12-2, and two, and Jean Volante, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Jean Volante is 17-10. and 10. Currently, they got Mikhail Olegzhechuk, he's minus 190, and the comeback on Jean Volante is plus 165. I gotta know your opinion, man. Yeah, I got the utmost respect for a guy like John Volante. He lays it out there the majority of the time, you know, although it might be very ugly and slow. And he definitely fights tough. He's a very hard-nosed guy. Like I said, utmost respect for him. I just think this is a bad matchup for him against McCall. Now, McCall has only got one fight in the UFC. Volante's definitely got a world of experience on him. The thing is, why I think it doesn't matter is... Because Volante hasn't really utilized his experiences in those cages. He has never evolved. You know, I kind of consider him like, you know, these Ed Hermans, the Sam Alves, you know, these guys, you know, we love them. We're all fans. You know, they, they bang it out, you know, but uh, it's the same old thing, man. I think uh, his defense, you know, I feel like his last hurrah was really that Shogun fight. Uh I think after that fight was over, I think there was a considerate drop-off in his performances. The next fight against Cummins, he got outstruck by Cummings. You know, uh, John's a guy that likes to corner guys and utilizes power, but now he's, well, he's never really moved. Like I said, he's never 
evolved. He doesn't move his head. His head stays on the center center line. Uh, like I said, he's got power, but he's been getting away against these guys that just don't pull the trigger quite enough or are in the same boat as him, you know, old and deteriorated like her Ed Herman and Sam Alvey. Now he's fighting a 23, 24-year-old guy who is coming off of USADA suspension, but unlike... Uh, which I might be wrong. Unlike Polo Reyes, I don't think it's going to affect him because he's a little younger and, you know, he's still got uh, those young genes flowing through him. So I think McCall's going to come out here. I think he's a way better puncher than uh, John Volante, a crisper puncher. And I think the straight punches are going to play a big factor in here, man. When, when Volante gets real telegraphed and starts loading up on those hooks, I think a guy like McCall is going to just come right down the middle with the one-two. And not to mention that he's got good wrestling as well. He can go to the body. He invests in the body long-term. I think Volante is going to get knocked out here. You know, I feel like uh, we haven't seen him take a nap in a while. But I think this McCall's the guy. You know, I feel like Volante struggled with southpaws in the past. And I just think he makes too many mistakes, the defense that he's never corrected. And uh, he doesn't really have any other options in his fight game. You know, he's not a wrestler. He's not a tie-up. This guy lives and dies on that power. And uh, I think McCall's going to put him on his butt. So I got McCall here by finish. Yeah, McCall, Alexa Jacek, man. He came into the UFC with that debut against Khalil Roundtree. And normally when guys go out there and be beat Khalil Roundtree, aside from my boy uh, Johnny Walker, uh, jo Johnny Hawker, aside from him, man, most guys either lay on Khalil or you know try to take him down and submit him. McCall Oleksandrchuk, he stood and banged with Khalil for three straight rounds and absolutely dismantled him in a way where it's like he took all of Khalil's best shots, kept walking forward, then put some volume on of his own. And, uh, I mean, there were 230-25, Shaq. That's all I got to say. And, obviously, he popped, had the USADA suspension. Now, like we've talked about in many past episodes of Half the Battle, when these older guys pop, shit, they might not ever be the same. But when these younger guys pop, I mean, who cares? You guys remember when Brian Ortega popped for steroids and then he went on a big win streak, won all his fights until he fought the champ, Max Holloway. Well, I think with McCall... Yeah, he popped, but he's only 23-24. He's still a kid. He'll be fine. He's not going to come out here looking any different. But one thing I'll say about the USADA shit, he's always been historically very durable. But uh, I, I just think that's just how he is. You know, maybe here coming out the USADA suspension, first punch knocks him out. I highly doubt it. So assuming that doesn't happen, I think McCall is going to absolutely pick apart Jean Vellante. First of all, Jean Vellante, we know he's a walking punching bag, but not to mention he does struggle even extra against southpaws. You all remember that Tom Lawler fight, that check right hook that put him out cold? And, I mean, just a bunch of his other fights, the Sam Alvey fight, like, come on. So, here against McCall Uggs and Jaychuk, man, I mean, the thing here is that McCall's not going to just stand there and stand in the center, you know, you throw one, I throw one, like the Ed Herman fight, like the Alvey fight, this and that. McCall's going to be picking him apart, establishing that jab, invest in the body like Shaq mentioned, start throwing those straights and you know the first two minutes of every round because Volante does come out hard, he is a former football player, look no matter how much of a punch drunk meathead he is, the dude hits very hard, he has knocked people out cold, so McCall can't just come out here with his hands down and eat a bunch of shots, however he will eat some shots the first minute or two of every round, but historically speaking since we know Volante has never evolved, we know exactly how he fights, he will be gassed out by the two-minute mark of every round. He will be eating a lot of punches. And now the issue here is that unlike Alvy, who has very low volume, unlike Ed Herman, who has very low volume, you start to gas out on a guy like Mikhail Alex Jaychuk, and all of a sudden he's teeing off on you and he's not letting up. And then uh, you might take a knee. You might be so gassed. The ref might come in there and intervene. Bottom line, I think McCall gets Volante out of there. But if it does hit the scorecards, I see him winning as well. I got McCall for the victory. Co-main event of the evening. 
in the heavyweight division. We got Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao. He's 16 and 5. And Stefan Struve is 28 and 11. Currently, they got Marcos Rogerio de Lima minus 135. The comeback on Stefan Struve is plus 115. Shaq, you think uh, the career turnaround for Pezao continues here, or do you think Struve gets to go out on a win? Yeah, can't really call it a career turnaround. He's only off one win, but it was a good win. Uh, he definitely looked the best he ever had. You know, Pezao was a guy at 205. Seemed like when he ran into adversity, he just tapped right away. I know it was against, you know, guys that you would consider submission specialists like Nikita Krylov, like Antigolov, like OSP. And now he's fighting another submission specialist. So this is his ultimate test. This is his, you know, he gets to uh, right every wrong that he's had at, in his uh, past at 205. But, you know, I feel like a, a factor that's being... Uh, so up to the under the rug here a little bit is how much weight that pays out put on between his move from 205 to heavyweight. I mean, his last fight at 205, he weighed it at 210 and he missed weight at 205 for every fight except one. Then he, uh, then he moves up to heavyweight and he weighs 253 pounds. And then he got his test. He kind of did fight a submission specialist because we knew Adam, uh, the fraud, uh, Vitra record or whatever you know uh, we knew he was a fluke submission guy you know he's a guy that pretty much loses every fight then until he pulls off a, a fluke sub and Pezal stayed in his guard and there was never really any danger of any sub so that was a solid performance he didn't look for any ways out and I am going to attribute it to the weight because, you know, Pezal said he felt like he couldn't think at 205 pounds and that he had to move up and the fact that he put on 43 pounds is uh a lot, man. So I definitely think heavyweight is his new home. Stefan Struve, a legend of the sport. What can I say? I mean, the guy knocked out Steve Miocic, beat my boy Paul Bansuelo back in the day, my boy Moorcraft back in the day. I mean, he's had some great fights, Pat Barry. Um, but I think his days are numbered, and I think this might be the last time we see him. You know, I think uh, he's had a great career, like I said, but he's another guy that really hasn't evolved. We've always said in the five years ago, we were saying, man, I can't wait till Stefan Struve figures out how to use his range. Guys, he's, it still ain't happened, you know, and, and it ain't gonna happen. Uh, you know, the guy, he really just sits back and lets guys pressure him, and eventually he finds his way on his back. But occasionally he'll threaten with a little sub attempt, and Pezal's got to be on his P's and Q's because Struve does have a lot of submissions, and we know Pezal's weakness is that sub game. I think Pezal beats Stefan's ass. I think he chops him down and then eventually, you know, gets into range with the punches and Pezal at heavyweight. Uh, allegedly, they say JDS uh, shoots on Pezal when when they spar because uh, Pezal's, everyone's scared of Pezal's power in the gym. So, you know, I think uh, we're going to see, I don't want to say the best version of Pezal, but I do think he's going to get the win here. I think Stefan's, I don't want to say he's lost motivation. I just think he doesn't have it anymore. You know, this is the last fight on his contract. You know, I just feel like, uh, you know, some of these beatings, man, the Volkov beating might have just been, you know, it wasn't his hometown. It might have just been a little too severe. And uh, the Arlovsky fight was an egg. And, you know, the Tybora fight was basically an egg. So I'm going to go. I got to go with Pezal just because he's been looking fresher. I feel like he's hungrier. And uh, I feel like Stu just has a lot of losing on his mind right now, man. So I got, I'm going to go with Pezal by finish here. I remember when Stefan Stu first came into the UFC and it was like, wow, we've never seen a seven foot tall guy inside the octagon and when he first started man at heavyweight he weighed like 229 pounds 
But then a couple years later, he was actually weighing in around 260. So he definitely put on size. He filled out. But for some reason, Shaq, he was never able to utilize his range like we wanted him to. We were like, dude, you're seven feet tall. Establish that jab. Throw the front kicks. I mean, the only times he was able to actually go out there and, and use that game plan was against, uh, I know my boy Big Nog is a legend, but, you know, Big Nog, that was his retirement fight, right? He was already in his 40s at that point. So respect to Strew for getting that win, but I would have liked to see him do that against the younger contenders in the heavyweight division. Now with Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, you said it's not a career turnaround, but I kind of think it is, man. I'll tell you why. Even though he's only on a one-fight win streak, he was killing himself to make 205 pounds, and I think extreme weight cutting is something that people often overlook. They just, you know, they look at these fighters like superheroes, like action figures. Oh, of course he's going to make weight. They don't take into consideration the sacrifice and just how much these guys are taking a toll on their own bodies trying to drop that weight. And you talk about how he couldn't make weight for 205. Now he's weighing 253 at heavyweight. That means he should have been at heavyweight all along. You don't just go from 205 to 253 and still fight competitively. Not to mention he's looking the best he's ever looked because you saw that last fight and it used to be KO or bust. You know, if Pezal can't get you out there in that first round, he'll look for the way out. Well, at heavyweight, now that he is fully hydrated, you know, he's got that water in his body and his brain. You saw him go three hard rounds against, a, you know, a fluke submission guy who's very tall for the division, similar to Stefan Struve. So he kind of fought the poor man's version of Struve in his heavyweight debut. Now he gets the real thing. And I think he comes out here, like you said, chops him down with the leg kicks because we know that's always going to be an effective weapon against a taller opponent. But once you do start to chop him down, once he does start to walk a little more gingerly, that's when we close the distance. That's when we throw those punches up top. And I do think Marcos Hogerio de Lima Pezal knocks out Stefan Struve here. Main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we got Tiago Majeta Santos. He's 20 and 6. And Jan Blakovich is 23 and 7. Well, Shaq, currently it's a dead pick em. They got it minus 110 apiece. Hell of a main event. Uh, which way are you going? Yeah, this is a great matchup. Like I said uh, at the beginning of the show, Tiago's got that hammer on his chest, and there's a very good chance that he comes out here and runs another opponent over or eventually just finds the home for one of those haymakers and gets him out of there. You know, he can uh, go a little bit. We saw him uh, go with, with Anders and Jimmy Manoa. So, uh Maheda, I think, uh, you know, his weakness, obviously, is the jiu-jitsu department and his chin. But I think those chin issues are probably going to be less of a factor at 205 pounds. And considering his opponent, you know, I think Blackovich, you know, as far as this matchup for him, I think that he doesn't really have to worry about getting taken down. I don't think he uh, has to worry about getting laid on. And, you know... To Yan, that could possibly be a good thing because I've always said even when Yan was, you know, in the midst of his big losing streaks, I think Yan arguably has one of the better chins at 205 pounds considering that he's never been knocked out in the UFC. And uh, his one KO loss to Sokaju was by uh, injury. You know, it wasn't by actual knockout. So, you know, I do think Yan has a very granite chin. But we know Thiago Mata Santos can break any chin. But another thing is, Tiago Mata Santos, although he's exciting, although he's very powerful, and like I said, I do think the chin moving up to 205 is going to help his chin issues that he was having at 185 pounds. I still think he makes a lot of mistakes on the mat, like we saw in that Jimmy Manoa fight, you know, after his big haymakers that, you know, still might knock you out. 
if it doesn't knock you out, it seems like Thiago occasionally needs a little rest period and, you know, he'll go to all fours. He'll he'll risk himself on the mat a little bit and he'll get away with it against guys like Eric Anders and guys like Jimmy Manoa. But uh, against the guys like Jan Blackova, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belts, who are operating on a different frequency these days, Jan might take that back and submit him. So I think uh, Jan Blakovich is actually the better overall MMA fighter. I think uh, that he's got a solid chin. And I also think that he can threaten Tiago Mejeda's chin as well. I think he's going to definitely have to pick and choose his spots because uh, exchanging with Tiago Mejeda Santos is a very scary thing. And like I said, he might get run over. But I think that if he weathers the storm, if he arguably just goes ahead and concedes a couple rounds to Tiago Mejeda Santos, I think that in the late rounds, Tiago will get tired. I think he will, that uh, Jan Blakovich can expose him on the floor, and I think that he will expose him on the floor. I think that after a while, Tiago's just going to do what he's done his whole career, which is make a lot of mistakes on the mat. Like I said, I think uh, Jan Blakovich's weakness is getting laid on, out-wrestled, uh, and I don't think Tiago Mejeda Santos brings those uh, factors to the game. But I could see this going either way. It is a pick for a reason, but I'm going to go with Jan Blakovich to continue his uh, his success and uh, get another one closer to a title shot. This is a hell of a main event because obviously anytime Tiago Maheta Santos fights, you better be tuning in because like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this guy is climbing up the all-time KOs list in UFC history. He's got 10 career knockouts inside the octagon. Go to bestfightpicks.com, hit that stats and facts page because we actually continually update our uh, top KOs list. And we got that up there because Maheta Santos, like we mentioned, ever since that time he fought Hani Marcus up until his last fight with Jimmy Manoa. If he's going to beat you, he's not just going to beat you. He's going to devastatingly knock you out and finish you. And it's going to be on a highlight reel. He's going to get a 50K bonus the whole bit. That's why uh, he's in the position he's in. That's why he's one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. And with Jan Blakovic, talk about a career turnaround, man. You know, at one point he lost four out of five fights. He's dropping decisions to guys like Pat Cummins. Now he's on a four-fight win streak. He's one fight away from a title shot. So Jan Blakovic, much respect to him. And in a sense, even though they're both somewhat well-rounded fighters, I do kind of think it's striker versus grappler, man. You know, against some guys, Jan can go out there, throw that body kick like he did to Ilir Latifi, get some guys out of there. You know, I have seen him go out there against Jimmy Manuel as well, land some nice overhands. But I think against Maheta, he's going to want to get back to the grappling here, man. Get back to that jujitsu black belt and try to submit this guy because we know in the past, yeah, Maheta has been knocked out. Look, live by the sword, die by the sword, but the percentages of Maheta getting knocked out in every fight are very low, whereas you take that fight to the mat, you take this guy's back, then you increase your odds to win. And with a black belt like Jan Blakovich, look, I respect Jimmy Manua, Eric Anders, Kevin Holland, Anthony Lionheart Smith, Jack Hermanson, all these guys. None of those guys are black belts on the level of Jan Blakovich. So I do agree if if Tiago Maheta can't get him out of there and he does end up on the mat, there is the chance that Jan Blakovich takes his back, chokes him out. Maybe He also has a nice armbar, uh, Jan Blakovich. That being said, man, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Tiago Santos, once again, like we were talking about with Rogerio de Lima, he was someone that was participating in extreme weight cutting, man. 85 to 205. Those That's 20 pounds of difference. He was killing himself to make 185. Now at 205, well, firstly, there's always been, you know, people would always criticize his chin because you remember the David Branch fight. Well, you saw the shots he was taking at 205 pounds versus Jimmy Manuel, a guy who's known for being a knockout artist. And uh, Tiago Maheda ate it fine. I really do think that 
those 20 extra pounds made a world of difference. Not to mention he's fighting with a lot more confidence now. I feel like he can actually think when he's in there because when he hit the mat at 185 pounds, he wouldn't even fight the hands. It, it just seemed like he would panic right away, tap that mat. Whereas now he has been threatened in situations on the mat against Eric Anders, even against Jimmy. And he seemed like he was thinking things through, taking his time, one step at a time, was fight the hands, when it's time to get back up, then we start firing again. That's exactly what he did. So I am convinced that the weight cut made a difference. But granted, the right guy will put him out because you know how this shit works, especially with the big men. They are 205 pounds. You know, you put him in there with... Uh, with Daniel Cormier, you put him in there with my boy Anthony Rumble Johnson, he makes a return, and there's no guarantee that he won't get knocked out. But here against Jan Blakovic, I do think that he's going to get the, the finish here, man. I, and I think he's going to do it via knockout. So I am going to go with Tiago Majeta Santos. I do think he gets another 50K bonus. And I cannot wait to see uh, what the actual finishing result is. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going, man? Great, man. Uh, coming off a pretty shitty week, but planning on bouncing back and having a good one this week. Uh, feeling that I'm going to win that first place, 15K on DraftKings. So after that, I'll be stoked. I mean, when you've been putting up the kind of numbers that you have, it's only inevitable to eventually take an L from time to time. But I know that's not going to deter you from getting a win this weekend. And man, Tiago Maheta Santos versus Jan Blakovic. First of all, how incredible is it to see Tiago Santos become a UFC main event fighter? Yeah, I mean, he's he's turned it around big time. I still can't believe this dude lost to Eric Spicely. But uh, now this dude's a title contender, really. I mean, he beat Anthony Smith, who's going against John Jones for the title. Uh, he's putting himself right there. And actually, I'm actually picking him here. I think it looks like everyone else is going Blackowitz. The line has flipped, and now they're even on the betting line. But salaries don't change on DraftKings. So Santos is 8500 and Blackowitz is 7700 There's a lot of value on Blackowitz there. Uh, I think people are going to be flocking to that. So that kind of makes me like Santos even more in GPPs. If he's going to be lower on than he should be, uh, in my opinion, then I, I got to be overweight on him. And I'm going to be picking him to get the win. Uh, I probably will be stacking this in cash. I'll get a little bit of Blackowitz hedge there. Um but yeah, man, I, I like Santos in this, and as long as he can keep this standing, I expect him to to win the striking clearly. And I, I don't think Blackwicks is going to sub him, so um, I'm not sure he can get five rounds worth of takedowns on Santos. So I'm going to take Santos by a knockout. Co-main event, you got Struve taking on DeLima. And I was talking to Shaq about it earlier, how... DeLima was fighting at 205 pounds, but now at heavyweight, he weighs 253. So obviously, the weight cutting was a big factor. Do you think he's going to have more success here at heavyweight? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't think he's like a great fighter, but I think heavyweight's a weaker division. So he could have more success just for that reason. Um, but, I mean, this is, this is sort of a tough match just because of how big Struve is, especially with his height. Uh, it's going to be... Interesting to see how he deals with that, if he's going to want to go out there and strike with Struve or take him down and try to avoid the triangles. But I do like Lima here. I think he's got the higher ceiling. Uh, but I also think he could go out there and, and win a decision like he did in his last fight and only score 60 to 70 points. So it's definitely not like an all-in play for me, but he is my preferred guy. Uh, if he loses, I think it would be from him just gassing out and Struve taking it off, putting it on him late, maybe getting a TKO or, or a submission over him. But I just think Struve is pretty much done at this point. 
so my pick is Delima, and I, I probably won't have a ton of this fight, but more so Delima. I might fade Struve altogether. One fight that you know for a fact is most likely going to stay standing is Michal Oleg Jaychuk versus Jean Volante. So I got to know, man, are you siding with the favorite here or do you see some value in the dog? Yeah, I'm going to go with the favorite again here. Um, but I'm, I'm less interested in him and DraftKings than I am the other two because I just see this being like every other Volante fight. It, it being a close fight where Volante probably wins the first round and then the other guy comes back and does better in rounds two and three. Uh, and I think it's going to go to a decision. Uh, at his $8,900 price tag, I just don't see a whole lot of value in him there on DraftKings because I don't think he has like 100-plus point potential. So I really don't care for this fight at all. And if I had to play it, I would rather go ahead and just take Volante. Uh, he could he could maybe get a knockout. He could steal a split decision. He goes to split decisions every time, so maybe he gets lucky this time. And at $7,300, even a low win won't kill you. But he's the type of fighter who can go out there and win and still get outscored by losers in other fights. So this is just a fight I'm going to be staying away from. But I will take the favorite to win a split decision. Well, Kyle, I noticed your free bet of the week was Lucy Pudilova. She's from Prague. Now she's taking on Liz Carmusha. Do you like her in DraftKings as well? Uh, I like her more so for a bet because on DraftKings, I mean, she's $7,900. I don't really see her doing a whole lot better than 10x of 7900 i feel like maybe that 70 to 80 is the range she would be in but i just see this being a close fight where Carmouche will be landing some takedowns but i think pudelova can get up and win big time on the feet so it's going to be what are the judges like more the stand up or the few takedowns and with this being in uh pudelova's backyard i i gotta think the judges would favor her so if i'm getting plus odds i like that bet um, and I like her more so for cash games because I think she can go all three rounds, has a solid floor. Um, I just don't see that GPP ceiling that we really want from her. So I like her more so for that one you free bet, and uh, hopefully she can pull off a decision here. Piotr Yan's taking on Ja Dodson, and you know Piotr Yan's a guy who covered his uh, DraftKings salary cap last time, scored 112 points. But now he's taking on John Dodson, who's historically tough to look good against. So I got to know, man, do you think he can top his, uh, his the number he put up last time? Yeah, actually, he scored 126 last time, and he scored 126 in his UFC debut. So, I mean, the dude has big-time ceiling in his game. Um, he scored 85 in a decision in that second fight, so that's not terrible. It wouldn't be great at his $9,300 price tag, but I do think he wins this fight. This this is just a great matchup for him, I think. It's just I don't think he really scores super highly because Dotson just doesn't let people score highly. He's going to be dancing around the cage a little too much where there's going to be um, just too much gaps where nothing's going on and we're not getting points racked up on DraftKings. So it's going to be real hard for him to get that $9,300 price tag paid off, especially if he doesn't get a finish. And I don't think he will. I think he's going to go out there and 30-27 this and maybe score – uh, like 80 points in a win. So that's not going to win us the 15K that we want. But I think he's solid for cash games because I do feel good about him getting a win at least. One fight I'm really looking forward to is Demir Hadzovic versus Polo Reyes. I have a feeling these two are going to stand in the center and uh, throw leather at each other. Who are you going with? Yeah, man, this should be a wild one. And now Hadzovic is the favorite. So he's he's going to be – him and Jan are going to be the chalk of the card. Everyone's going to see this value. They're going to flock to it, and that's where a lot of people are going to be starting their lineups with Hadzovic and Jan. So you got to think about that. If that's what you're doing with your lineup, 
you got to be a little bit different somewhere else to make sure you're not splitting first uh, place with 100K if those guys do win. Um, but I was uh, originally liking Hazovic at that plus money line, and I thought about betting him because I, I do see this being a stand-up fight. Uh, he's probably the more technical fighter. He's got some power as well. I just think Polo Reyes is going to put up a heavier pace, and I don't see either one of these guys getting knocked out. So I think it's going to be like a three-round slugfest with Reyes putting up more action, and that would probably lead him to a decision win. So I think going the opposite way, the ownership on this fight is a solid way to be contrarian and GPPs. And, I mean, he definitely has high ceiling in him. He scored 119 over Favola, 139 over uh, Dung Young Kim. So I, I don't mind a play on Reyes here at all for DraftKings. Um, but at the same time, if you want to eat that Hazovic's chalk because of the value there, I have no problem with that. So Michelle tractor Prezerish is taking on the newcomer, Nardiev. And look, this kid's coming into the UFC with an 18-2 and record. He's obviously paid his dues on the regional scene, but it's one thing to make your UFC debut. It's another thing to make it against Michelle tractor Prezerish. I mean, you think this kid can come out here and get the upset, or you think it's going to be uh, another another one in the win column for Tractor? I, I think it's probably just another one for Tractor. Just go out there, get takedowns. Um, and just win with top control if he can't get a submission. I still have uh, some fights to watch on this other kid, so I'm not fully done with this fight yet, but it's really hard to pick against Brazier. And he's the highest favorite on the card. Um, if he's going to get takedowns, then he's going to score highly probably on DraftKings. Uh, it's just more so when he gets finishes. So if you don't think he can get a finish, maybe stay away from him at that $9,400 price tag because you really do need him to score, to outscore everybody on the card at that price. So if you think this is going to go three rounds and – He's not going to get you know more than ten takedowns, and I think you might as well just go ahead and fade that price because he will get ownership because every knows everybody knows what he's capable of. And last but not least, Diego Ferreira is taking on Rustam Habilov, and the reason I'm so intrigued by this battle, you know, besides the fact that you know these are guys that have been long-term winners inside the UFC's octagon, is that stylistically speaking, Rustam Habilov likes to take these guys down, and if there's one guy you do not want to take down, it's the third-degree black belt, Diego Ferreira. So. I have an inkling that these two are going to stand and bang. So my question is, which way are you leaning? Yeah, I, th I think you're going to be right. I think it will be a stand-up fight. And I'm going to lean with the favorite slightly. Uh, I think he's going to be landing the harder shots. Uh, he might be stuffing the takedowns. Um, and I think if there are takedowns, it's probably going to be by Kabbalah getting on top, maybe at the end of the round to try and lock it up, something like that. Um, the problem is he's $8,700 on DraftKings. It's real hard to pay for because – if he goes out there and gets a decision like he usually does, he doesn't score very highly. Like in his last fight, he only scored 54 points in a win, a controversial win. Uh, in the fight before that, he only scored 62. So th those aren't scores you can win with at an $8,700 price tag. I think the better play is Diego here. If, if he can pull off the upset, it really doesn't matter how much he scores at that um, $7,500 price tag. He has a good chance of being on the first place lineup if he gets the win. So I like him more as a play in this fight. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battles going down this Saturday. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and they can also get your plays and your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. Only uh, like 24 bucks this week. It's a good one. Hop on. I'm going to get you a winner, and then we roll big next week. I like that card a lot, and I can't wait for it. Kyle, we'll speak soon, my man. All right. Good luck. Take care. You too. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch 
and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Prague? My fight to watch is going to be that main event, you know. Like I said, when Eric Spicely's got a win over the uh, w- one side of the main event and Patrick Cummins has a win over the other side of the main <laughs> event, it always makes for an interesting fight. I think that both of these guys have had you know, some very low moments. I feel like they've both pretty much bought themselves bought themselves up to this spot from the bottom. So that's my fight to watch. And like I said, the winner uh, might get a, well, at least he'll be right there for a title shot. My fight to watch is going to be Demir Hadzovic versus Marco Polo Reyes. I know for a fact that these two are going to stand and bang. They're going to settle their differences in the center of the octagon. And one man is not only going to get the bragging rights, but he might potentially get a 50K bonus because I do have a feeling that someone will be taking a canvas nap in this fight. They got it at pick a mod, so everyone betting on this fight, they're going to be on the edge of their seat. And for that reason, Demir Hadzovic versus Marco Polo Reyes is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who's your fighter to watch for UFC Prague? Yeah, my fighter to watch is going to be Lucy Putalova. She's the only hometown fighter fighting on this card. She's coming off a loss, but a fight of the night loss. I think she needs this win badly. You know, this can make her, uh, uh, not necessarily make or break her career. She's got a, a long future ahead of her. But, you know, I'm sure she wants her career tra- trajecting uh, in the right path. And uh, to do it against a girl like Liz Carmouche, the first girl to ever step foot in the octagon, couldn't be any better in your home country. Carmouche is a, a pioneer of the sport, so the crowd, I'm sure, will go crazy if Lucy gets this win. So she uh, is my fighter to watch. Yeah, Lucy Pudolova is absolutely someone to watch, especially in her home country on the main card. So definitely tune in to her. But for me, Shaq, my fighter to watch is Pio Torian. Look, anytime you get a matchup with a guy like John Dodson, it doesn't matter if you squeak out a win. Because you look at these guys that have been beating John Dodson and... Even Marlon Marais, the number one contender, or John Lineker, who's a top five guy, they both went out there and they won via split decision, but it's just the fact that they beat John Dodson that matters. Well, I'll tell you this with Piotr Yan. If he goes out there and wins a split decision against John Dodson, yeah, it's going to move him up the ranks. It's going to look good, but I guarantee you he will not be satisfied with that result. He will only be happy if he goes out there and dominates a guy like John Dodson from bell to bell, breaks him, and becomes the first man in UFC history to finish the magician John Dodson. So for that reason, Piotr Yan is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in the afternoon. UFC Prague, Maheta Santos versus Jan Blakovic. It's going to be a hell of a card. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. Thank you so much to every single person that supports us. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.